<clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we, Lord, it's by your name that we're saved, Jesus. And Lord, we just come, we come before you tonight, and we just ask that you would meet us here in this place, Father, that you would send the Holy Spirit to us, and that this should be, this would just be a wonderful time of learning your word and fellowship with one another, God. And Lord, that, Lord, these things would just, just sink deep within our souls, Lord, and God, that we would apply them during this week, and that we would reach the lost. Lord, open our eyes to those that are hurting tonight. Lord, let us comfort one another and minister to each other, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You want to turn to each other and say hello and then have a seat? Hello. Have a seat. really don't know about uh, anything here as far as the city of Ontario or the area, but up up where I live, if you don't know, I, I commute from Yucca Valley to come and teach on Sunday nights. <laughs> and uh, it, in Yucca Valley, when um, the area, it's it's pretty small. It's funny. It's, it's about, I don't know, 20,000 people for the population. And it's really funny because it's 20,000 people and this and it's just like this huge church there that's Joshua Springs Calvary Chapel. And so it's just you you don't know what God wants to do and you don't know like you know church size and how unimportant that is, you know, it's it's the people that are that we're reaching and all that, but but that but my point Yucca Valley being such a small town when anything happens you know, it kind of gets around and we we've, we've been going through it. So if you would just kind of keep us in prayer one of the um, ladies, I won't get into details, but one of the ladies' um, son and one of the ladies' grandson that goes to the church died in a car accident. And so if you think about it, keep them in prayer. And, uh, you know, and, and, and these things are going to happen. And um, the pastor up there, and I, wanna, I just kind of noticed something, and I kind of want to share with you guys before we get started in Matthew, but he, uh, the Holy Spirit was weighing upon him to read out of psalms 23 and you know and it's it's probably what if not one of the top chapters in the bible the 23rd psalm the lord is my shepherd right let's just read it the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul he leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I think, you know, if... If you read the 23rd Psalm, it's just everything in there is just, is just designed, it seems, to give you hope. But something I've noticed, and I think this is very important, this is what I want to share. I've noticed verse 3, and I've noticed verse 3 isn't backwards. For his namesake, he leads me in the path of righteousness, he restores my soul. It's not read that way. You know why? Because God restores us. Because God meets us, and, 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 and through the blood of Jesus, we become restored. And then the righteousness. 
And I don't know if that means any, anything to anybody tonight, but that really spoke to me, is that first God restores you. And he restores in a mighty way. And then, and then it's down the path of, the righteous, uh, down path of righteousness. And then people will see who you belong to, the great shepherd, Jesus. So anyway, I don't know. That really struck me this, this morning as, as I was sitting in service, just how God restores souls, how God restores. He's a God that restores. And even in the to- even in times of darkness or, and your worst, absolute worst part of your humanity, always know, and this is something I like to say a lot, is you know, no matter what sin you've committed, you, you can't out-sin the cross. You know, to say that you've committed a sin or that you're going through something dark is uh, it, like... That's, that, well, Jesus can't possibly say that. It's to say that he's not God. Because he can save that. There's only one unforgivable sin. And that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I fully believe as long as you're still alive and you have the ability to accept the Lord as your Savior, you haven't blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Especially if you're concerned that you did or not. Then I would say, well, then you haven't yet. But if you brought your Bibles to the Bible study, turn in Matthew chapter 12. Starting at verse 22, if you need a Bible, Scott has some in the back. You raise your hand. If not, and you have a smartphone, everyone good? Everyone's good. Um, you download the Blue Letter Bible. That's one I like to use. If you know of another one, go for it. Matthew chapter 12, 22, verses 30. Um, we'll be looking at, um, as we've been going through, we've been going through this Matthew. Uh, we also, when we can and when we're able, we'll, we'll reference... Um, uh, Mark and Luke, and we do that because they're very similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and what, they're, what that's called, it's a fancy theological word, it means synoptic gospels, and what that means is, synoptic means seen together. Matthew on its own is fantastic, Mark on its own is great, Luke on its own is wonderful, but when you put them together, as you're, maybe as you do your devotions through these, and you go and you reference what, what it says in Mark, you get a really good picture. And it's the idea that there was more than one person watching these events of Jesus. Anyway, so we'll be, we, so we'll be referencing, at the very least, I kind of put it in. You could write it down, and you can go check them out at home. Excuse me. Um, this whole series I've, I've um, entitled is called Be Disciples as we go through it. Because you know what I've noticed about the Lord is he comes down, and when he starts his ministry, the very first thing he starts to do is disciple people. And it was a very popular thing to do at, during that time. It was a very Greek thing to do. Um, and it kind of carried out throughout the land because even though Rome had the government, gr- the Greeks had the culture. And uh, to be a disciple of someone was, was kind of the thing to do. If rabbis would walk around and they would, you know, they would point out a flower or something. They would sit down next to the flower and all, the, all their disciples would stand around them and they would talk about the flower and how good God is or whatever. And it was a very popular thing to um, have disciples then. So Jesus, Jesus does that as well. And he starts reaching people. And it's crazy as we, as we look at everything up to this point where we're at, what Jesus is doing, that must have been just chaos almost. I mean, obviously God's in control and, and the Lord, Lord is reaching people. But I can't imagine if, you know, I just, I just decided to be homeless and start reaching people and I had the ability to heal leprosy and open the eyes of the blind, you know, how many people would be constantly coming at you? And, and, and you could just see the heart of the Lord that he continued to constantly meet these people where they were at. How much more so should, I don't know if how much more so, but 
should us in ministry and trying to reach people for Jesus in those times that we don't really want to reach people, should we be reaching people? My dad was just saying in the leadership meeting um, that God's been speaking on his heart to, to talk to people and not just hide out in his office before the service. And it's funny because I've been going through that myself this week as far as ministering to people, especially in, my, in the men's small group. And when people come and they, and they have things going on and they, they have problems going on, sometimes they just need someone to talk to. Because, you know, no one else, no one wants to listen. Or no one wants to reach them. Or no one wants them. And I just want a genuine heart that wants to reach people. And I want to see that. And I think that comes through discipleship. I think when, when, we, when you know, an elder or just someone that's older and has more experience, obviously within Christianity, I guess. But, you know, that and as well as just, you've, you know, you've made life decisions. You know, imagine taking like a young man if you're a man or a young woman if you're a woman. And being able to, you know, you know, give your input on, on what you read about in the Bible and how God spoke to you are also just about, like, life decisions, you know. No, don't buy that car. That's ridiculous. You know, or something, you know, you're able to, like, give these people advice. And I think as a church, that's kind of what God wants because he says, go make disciples. So up to this point, Jesus in his ministry, he's been, he's just been reaching people and making disciples, and we see in Matthew chapter 2, we'll start at verse 22. It says, Then one who was brought to him, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by, El- by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. But Jesus knew their, their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons um, cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can you enter in a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he, first, he, unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not, and who does not gather with me scatters abroad. So, right, so as Jesus is going around, he's healing. We saw that they were walking through a field, and they would, they would pluck the grains um, of the of the of the um, wheat that are in the fields, and they would eat them. And you know that was actually it was it was totally allowed during that time because Jesus uh, God through the through the um, Levitical law had a welfare system for the Jews where you could go and and behind the plowers and and gather gather food if if you were poor and you were broke. I mean you you, you couldn't like bring your tractor and completely wipe the guy out, you know. But it was a total of a welfare system for them and. But the Pharisees, remember the, as we went over the different um, religious sects last week, you have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, and um, the Zealots. Well, the Pharisees, like I said last week, they noticed that the reason we went into captivity in Babylon was because we kept breaking God's law. So you know what? We're going we're gonna to put a line around God's law, and you have to break our law before you can break God's law. Well, the problem with that is that they were holding God's law, I'm sorry, they were holding their law above God's law, 
And let me tell you, God's law, it doesn't need protecting. You know, God, God, God did it right the first time. And, but in that too, they, you could see, you kind of see their hearts at their, um, when they kind of started that. And it wasn't a bad thing, necessarily. It turned into a bad thing. But they just didn't want to, they didn't want to break God's law to go into captivity again. And I get that. And I think, like, Calvary Chapel was, is a wonderful thing. Look how it started. The hippies, you know, looking, looking for, you know, drugs and, and sex and love and, and all that. And then when the bottom fell out of that, what did they have? Well, they had Jesus, everything they were looking for. It was kind of a layup almost. It's like God knew what he was doing. And, but now, I'm not slamming Calvary Chapel because, you know, I preach at one. But, but um, I mean, just with anything, we can do that. You know, really, when it comes down to it, just the church in general, as human beings, we're just inclined to mess things up. You know, but then God, the Holy Spirit, like, you know, fills us and that we're saved and then we do things. But with these Pharisees, they're walking, they're, they're pointing at Jesus saying, you're working, you're breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says, you know, that, no, you know you're, it's permitted to do good works on the Sabbath. Because the Pharisees had laws that you couldn't spit on the ground, because if you spit on the ground, or more specifically, if you spit in the dirt, that was working because you were creating mud. Or, and I'm, I'm dead serious about this, by the way, in the, in the um, Talmud, I think. Or a woman couldn't look in the mirror, because if she did, she would be inclined to pluck a gray hair out, and that was harvesting. And how ridiculous that sounds is, is what they would do. Even today, uh, um, one, uh, one of my pastors, my teacher who taught me, Matthew, at CBI, he was saying that you, you, can't dri- you can't drive through an Orthodox Jewish community because they'll throw rocks at your cars because your car engine is creating fire. You know, and, and just all that ridiculousness. And Jesus saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. It was meant for rest. It was meant for a wonderful thing. And so the Pharisees are on them, and, and you could see, and you, I see some interesting things here in this, in this part. We see, for one, that no one doubted this guy was demon-possessed. And I've kind of noticed that uh, uh, during Jesus' ministry. It was like they would bring demon-possessed people, and no one was saying, no, it's not. I think, if, if, I think even, in the, even in Ontario right now, if someone came in and said, he's demon-possessed, we might be inclined to be like, okay. I mean, let's be honest. You know, it'd be like, it'd be like yeah, okay, or he's just a nut, you know. <laughs> We'll pray for him, you know, but, but then it was just, it was a common thing. It almost seems like that someone could be demon possessed and everyone would be like, yeah, he has a demon in him. You know, they didn't think twice about that. And, and I can imagine living in a, in a society that, that still is not close to God. Because I look, what I'm trying to say is, is you see this society, and if, if, if for some, somehow someone like was on the news and they were able to prove without a doubt that this person was demon-possessed, well, if there's demons, then, you know, isn't there angels? If there's angels, isn't there God? And I think, and in that small thing, what I'm trying to say is that I think that, I think that Satan kind of has the United States on some kind of, Cruise control, if you will. You know, we, we, we pride ourselves on being educated, um, instant access to news. Um, we, you know, we pride ourselves on our, on our colleges and our, our thinking. And there's atheists, you know, that are pretty prevalent in science. You know, and then. But like, even if, but you see here, 
even if there were demon-possessed, and that was something that was acknowledged by the United States, and, and the atheists had to, had to confront the, um, the fact that there is a God, would it matter? Because back then they knew that they obviously knew this person was demon-possessed, and still the Pharisees were not believing in Jesus. He cast them out right in front of them, and their first thought, or the first thing out of their mouth was like, oh, you do it by, you do it by a demon. And that just makes me think, too, is, is the way we need to be approaching our time, the way, need, the way we need to be approaching things that we do in ministry is through love and through discipleship. Because I think it's, like it says in the Bible, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Because what does it matter if, if you convince an atheist, say you have some epic argument with, I mean, anybody that's not born again, whatever they are, atheist, agnostic, Mormon, whatever, you convince them not to be that way, if they don't become born again, then they'll, they'll be in hell believing in God with the demons. And I think as, as, we, as we tighten up as a church and as we, as we, as we help one another, and we, I mean, just things like listening to one another or just pouring ourselves into somebody, I think that God, I think that's how we get things like spiritual gifts. I think that's how God uses us. I think that's what makes, makes God happy. I mean, we, we pride ourselves on being such a society that's very into science or very into common sense and, you know, not over spiritual, but then we go and we pay large sums of money to watch the supernatural. I think there's a huge desire for the supernatural within, within each one of our hearts. What I think that is, it's, you know, the God-shaped hole that we have, you know, because at the end of the day, we need our Savior. We need our God. Because, look, we, we go and we watch things like the Avengers or Star Wars and Jedi or whatever, and I'm slamming Star Wars because I love it, so I'm kind of like putting my sin out there, I guess, I don't know, but... Um, but we look at this, you know, the, the meta-human and all these things and, you know, we want to believe that, that we're happy accidents through evolution of the Big Bang or whatever. And, and, but we, we also want the spiritual out of it. We want to be able to choose it. But we see, the, but we see that we get that fulfillment through the Lord Jesus. We, 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 we have the Holy Spirit. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit. James 2.19 says, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Israel saw demon possession. Israel saw so many things. When, he, when Israel was in captivity, they were released from it from like plague after plague. And each plague, if you do the study and you find out that each plague in Israel was specifically designed to counter and destroy an Egyptian god. Each one of those. You know, he, he, he blotted out the sun, the death, um, you know, whatever, locusts. Each one, each one proved that God is real and those, and those gods weren't. He parted the Red Sea, manna from heaven, fire and smoke. And man, it's... Honestly, what if, what if these things, and I guess in our, I want to get in our head, like right here, what if, if these things happen now, would it make a difference? I mean, I'm sure there would be some people who go, okay, God's real, that's enough, I'm in, you know, but, but there would be some people that would, that would get worse, I, I wonder. I don't know, but it seems like it, because if you read Revelation, what do, what do they do during all that? They curse God. 
But you know what I think? You know what I think reaches people? Is, is the way we treat one another. And so, I don't know. I think, I think that's how we, I think that's something that needs to change in us. I think, and I'm just saying you guys as a church, because, I mean, you're here listening to me, you know. <laughs> but just, I mean, really, as, 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 as we can start that. We can, we can do that. You know, just in our time of fellowship, just setting that up, asking, you know, just talk, the way, you, I, you know, just talking to someone and getting their phone number and, and meeting with them once a week. I know we have a discipleship class starting. I think what, my dad said Ruthie was doing it, and I think he's doing it. You know, going that to learn how to disciple, to learn how to do something that Jesus commands us to do, that class should be packed. I think we want to see these things like revival, and we want to see these things of revival, that, that of, of the Jesus people movement. But I think God wants to do something greater, something new, because he, he did the Jesus people movement. You could look around and see we're products of the Lord, but we're products of the Jesus people movement. But what, what does God want to do next? I think another revival's coming. I'm thoroughly convinced of that. But even if, if full-on revival and awakening doesn't happen, let's just reach one person. And do that in love. Anyway, so you see that, and you see what's going on here, and you see the hearts of, of man. You, see, you just see how hard it can be. And, you know, it's just the refusal to believe that, that Jesus is, is the Messiah here, with, and the Pharisees saying, he, you know, he's, he does it by the power of Beelzebub. And it just makes me think, have you, have, have you had someone in your life that seen the power of God and they refuse to believe. It's through love that will that will change people. First Corinthians chapter thirteen verse seven says, "Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things." And Jesus was doing this with them. He hated their unbelief in him, but he does verse seven of chapter thirteen of first of first Corinthians to them and to us. And to that hard-to-reach person that you're pulling your hair out wanting to believe. Because it's, it's easy for us to love each other. It's easy for us as born-again believers, you know, or at least it's easier to say, yeah, I love you, man. You know, but how hard is it to the person that just completely persecutes you? Or that throws it in your face? Or that's looking for any reason to slam your, your belief or who you are because you're a believer in Jesus Christ? But we, our example is the Lord because we see what he did, how patient he was, how unwavering in the scriptures he was, but that he ended up dying for even these people. This, many of the people that were saying Hosanna when he rose in on donkey a week later were saying crucify him because he wasn't kicking Rome out. And we see that and... You know, and, and I mean, we could, you know, we could slam the Pharisees, but even in the Pharisees, we can draw hope because some of these Pharisees, I don't know how many, but I, I know two offhand, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and Paul the Apostle became born-again believers, mighty Christians. And, it was, and, and you see that it's just Jesus doing his ministry, Jesus continuing on, and it was in love. Pray, fast, live your life for Christ. That, um, that will bring change. People see, you know what, people, you know what's something I've heard is a compliment, I get, you know, obviously to me, which is great, I'm not trying to brag, I'm just saying is like, I like how real you are. Man, that's how you're supposed to be. 
I mean, that's the biggest problem with, with like, as far as I can tell, the, the most common example we hear from unbelievers is, I don't like church, it's full of hypocrites. You know? You know, everybody's, full, everybody's a hypocrite. You know what I mean? Like, you know, no matter where you go, people are pretending to be something they're not. We shouldn't be accused of that. And if we're not being accused of that, or if we're not giving people a reason to be accused of that, then we're just loving. Then we're being like Christ to these people and reaching them. And I think, you know, people see that. And like I was saying, people, oh, I like how you teach. It's real. People appreciate authenticity. Is that the word? People appreciate you when you're real. Because you may not be cool because, you know, I'm not cool. I'm far from cool. I'm like over here on the cool scale. That's the bad area, I guess. You know, but, but when you're, you know, no matter, no matter how uncool you are like me, if you, you know, and by the way, if you're cool, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We need more cool people at this church. I think that'd be rad, but, but, uh, but just being real, just being who you are, unwavering in that, that's something even in, I promise you, because I've heard it from them, even an atheist appreciates you know, I see that you believe in your heart that these things. Because I've seen people that just play the act. People see that. People see Jesus when you, when you genuinely have a heart like him. Satan is organized and moving against God with a purpose. These are not only just evil, crazy angels that fell. They have power and they're organized. Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters abroad because this is a battlefield. And we're in spiritual warfare. We're against an enemy who, since the very, I mean, if you read Genesis, through the very beginning of creation has been against us. And if you read Isaiah, I don't, it's not 11. Isaiah, I can't think offhand. I didn't think I was going to talk about it. Or maybe I did. Um, you know, he was one of the high, he was one of the, if not the highest angels. He was perfect in all of his ways before iniquity was found in him. You know, I think, I think, like I said a couple of weeks ago, I think the devil thinks in his, in his heart that he can win because, you know, the best lie, if he's the father of lies, the best liars are the ones that can lie to themselves and believe it. Because you think, like, how can, the, you know, the devil, you know, you look at the Bible and, like, literally every single thing has come true. How can the devil look at that and be like, I'm still going to be this way? You know, like, I don't get that, you know, but it kind of makes sense when he thinks he can win still. Because look what he did. He, he tempted the Lord. Remember when we read through that, he went and tried to tempt Jesus because he knew for the first time ever in all eternity, God weakened himself and became a man. Obviously fully God, but he became a man. If there was any time to ever dethrone God, it was when Jesus was one of us. And try as he might, he couldn't. Because the, and, and what did the Lord do? He, I mean, he was, he was you know, we, it's, it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, because Jesus is God, you know, yes. But also keep in mind, he was starving to death. I mean, 40, 40 days of not eating, I promise you, your bodies will start eating you to death, literally. I can't, like, go a day without having a bad attitude if I don't eat. Like, I'm a terrible human being if I don't eat, if I miss lunch. I joke because I have hyperglycemia, and if you know, I'm not going to explain that, but if you know what it is, you know, you know why I need to eat. Um, and so I always joke that my fast count more because I'm hungrier, you know, it's not true, but, but Jesus was starving to death. And what, what did he beat Satan with? The word of God. That is literally all he did. In fact, like angels didn't help him. Angels came after Satan left. 
and you know, like it makes you think. I think in, in Jude, it talks in Jude. I think it talks about how um, how how, this, how Satan contended for the body of Moses, and what did Michael do? So the Lord rebuke you. I'm not going to do it. My point is, is, is we we you know we 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 fight against an enemy that is well organized and want, and has a goal and wants to do something and wants to see the destruction of believers, wants to see the destruction of the Jews because they're God's chosen people. So when Jesus is there and he's saying, you know, he who's not with me is against me, it makes a lot of sense if you look at it in the aspect of being on a battlefield. For those of you that served, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those of you who have been in Iraq, um, Iraq 1, Iraq 2, Afghanistan, you know as you, as, as you, as you went out through, and um, if, you, if you were deployed there, as you went out and you dealt with, those, with a lot of the people that were over there, you had no idea, or maybe Vietnam, you had no idea if they were the enemy or not. As you went and you, you talked to them, maybe you gave them money for information, or you gave them food, and you were trying to win hearts and minds, and then you turn around, and, and the next day they're blowing up your convoy. And I think in the aspect of us being real, that's what the Lord wants. In this spiritual warfare, people need to know who Jesus is. And as we press on, or as if Jesus has us in one fighting hole, you know, it's like, it's common for us to say, you know, there's always three answers. There's yes, no, and wait, right? Well, in spiritual warfare, that makes a whole lot more sense too, because it, do you want me to press on and fight over there? Yes, press forward. Okay, pressing forward. But it's just as important in battle to, to hold your position. And when you're not sure about somebody, that's terrifying. And so, I think in this spiritual warfare, and, and as, we're, as we're reaching people, it's, we, we have to be authentic. And we do that when we, every day, like Romans chapter 12, it says, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Because you know what, you, you're a terrible sacrifice. You're blemished. You know, you have, you have problems all over you where, where any Levitical priest would be like, no, you can't be a sacrifice. But you know what makes us a good sacrifice? The Lord Jesus. Every day get up and ask Jesus to make you that living sacrifice. And get on that altar. And you know, as human beings, we don't like being on the altar. Because what happens on altars? You burn. Your flesh doesn't like to burn. But we need to constantly, every day, get up and, and talk to God. Get in his scriptures. Talk to him. Pray to him. And then read, read what he's saying to you. God's, Jesus speaks through his already spoken word. You want to hear the voice of God? Read it all out. Now that you're God, I'm just saying, you know, read what he's trying to tell you. Find how it just, it just, you know, it's, it's, it blows, it, doesn't it blow anybody else away that, it, you know, those things are just completely, like you read about that morning scene and just completely line up with what you're going through. And then there's people that say there is no God. What are the odds of that? So like, you know, we have the best, absolute best teacher ever. That's the Holy Spirit. So every day we need to get up. Every day offer yourself as living sacrifices. Every day look, look, look to someone that mistreats you or that says you're, you're doing this by the power of demons. You know, you're, you're, you're a terrible individual. You're a terrible Christian. And every time you feel those aggressive feelings or those, that, that, that the root of hatred or, you know, just your sin nature start to kind of act like, oh, yeah. Use that as an excuse to pray for that person. Watch, watch the change happen. Go and, and, then, and then turn around and go to the person you're discipling and tell them what just happened. And then pour into that person and be like, this was the proper response. You know, and as a matter of fact, let's pray for Sean because he's, you know, he was mean to me. 
And then, and then that person sees. And as you pour into that person all that love in there, then that person's going to look and be like, yeah, that's real. And I can't help but wonder how many people walk into this church, sit down, listen to whoever's teaching, my dad, me, or whoever, Sean, and just walk out. And they're completely hurt. I don't know. I mean, hopefully that never happens. Hopefully we've reached these people. But I think that comes every single day offering yourself as a living sacrifice. Every single night discipling. At the very, very least, if you don't know who disciple, to disciple, look to your wife. You can absolutely start there. And, you'll, and watch, watch how effective that is. Look to your kids. Watch how effective that is. Isaiah 54, 17 says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Every, and the righteousness is from me. I had to turn my notes. Says the Lord. You know, greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world in the spiritual warfare. I mean, you guys, are, you guys are special forces in an untrained rabble almost. Like, I'm just saying on the power of God. Like, you're just, you're just saying Satan's well organized. Well, he is. But I'm just saying as far as, as far as who you are, the armor of God, which is Christ, right? It says in Romans that the armor is Christ. And then it goes specifically in what the armor is in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, but the, the, the word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. If, you know, you're, we, we've heard all these cliches. You're immortal if you're in the will of God. What can man do to me? And if that's true, you know, I don't, I don't think necessarily, unless God's telling you to specifically do this, I don't think necessarily you go out and, you know, you, you stick on your, your, your proper political hat and you go out and you start banging people with the Bible or whatever, but you, you go out and you start reaching people for Christ. And you just start presenting, presenting the opportunity to love on somebody and watch a changed life happen. Choose Jesus. Choose the righteousness of the one that would uh, that uh, sorry excuse me choose the righteousness of the one that which a word defeats demons of your life and apply that to the sin that you're struggling with because with the word Jesus commanded the weather and it obeyed him with a word he he commanded demons and they left with the word he commanded illnesses and and it obeyed sicknesses and they they obeyed and they were healed. With the word, he can command peace into your life. And we have those words. Jesus, Jesus just says in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the word. And then it says in the Bible that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't take the Bible lightly. You know, it's great that we have things like the Bible bus. And if you're able to do that, I think that's, that's wonderful. But I, I know for a fact there's some people that go, I can't read like you know, a chapter in the New Testament and chapter in Psalms and, and, you know, the Levitical law about, you know, cooking goats and milk and stuff. You know, I just can't do it. You know, and if you can, that's great. I don't mean to, like, slam the people that can do that or anything, but, like, but if you can only read a chapter, then please do that every day. If you can only read a verse, then you should do that. If you can only read a word... I think God can start revivals on a word. We can, we can take one word out of this Bible and have a complete Sunday night. My point is, is you need to be getting into the word because even God used the word. And if God set that standard, him being the word, how much more so do we need to be in the word? Matthew chapter 12 
continuing on, 31 and 32. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, verses 13 through 14, it says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you, tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So keep in mind Isaiah 55, 67. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the, unrighteousness, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. 1 John chapter 1, um, verse 9, If we confess our sins, if, if, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. All sins. So in the beginning, there's no sin. Jesus, God restores he restores, and then you go into righteousness. You can't do righteousness to be restored. It has to be through Jesus. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to reach people for Christ and push people to him. John 16, 7 through 11. John 16, chapter, um, chapter 16, verse 7 through 11 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient, uh, expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he comes, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not, of, not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit, we see through these verses, is to push the sinner to Christ. If they reject that, then God won't forgive them. But I believe that happens when they die. I don't believe, I mean, there's, there's, there, and, you know, I get it, there's examples, there's, there's, there's Pharaoh, right, who kept on hardening his heart and kept on hardening his heart, but that's rejection of the Holy Spirit right there in a, in a life. God, God's saying, this, okay, that's what you want with all your heart. You want that, and he allowed it. But, don't, but that's not up to us, that's not up for us to decide in a human being. We may think, you don't, you don't know my father, or you don't know my brother, or you don't know my neighbor, or whatever that person may be. He's pretty bad. Man, I've seen God turn sat um, satanic priest around. I've seen God, God, God turn the hardest person around. God knows the heart. Jesus says, Jesus says, go make disciples, go reach people, go out there and get them, and let me be the judge of that. You bring them to me, I'll figure all that out. Because, you know what, I see the heart. So I think rejection of the Holy Spirit is when... Is when when you, you refuse it. I've heard, I've, I've, in my short time in ministry, and to my shame maybe, I've never been witness to someone that's died. I've only heard other pastors talk about it. And I expect one day I will see this, but I've heard pastors talk about how they've gone into a room and they said, you know, this is it, man. This is your last chance right here. All you have to do is turn. All you have to do is confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, call upon his name, and you will be saved. I mean, really, again, and I know I'm, I sound like a broken record, but, but the thief on the cross is like the perfect example on how someone could be saved. Because what did he do? He did nothing. I mean, literally, he just didn't want to die like a scumbag. 
for once, I think. I think that was the most. He was just, he was like, you know, just acknowledging the fact that he deserved to be there, I think is the most that he did. Lord, just remember me when you go into your kingdom. And Jesus turns to him and says, you know, today you will be with me in paradise. And that blows me away every single time because, you know, how many times in that guy's life as he was arrested or as he felt bad for what he did or just knowing that he was a sinner, you know, involved, I don't know if he was involved in, you know, two, in, in two or whatever BC Jewish gangs or whatever he did then, you know, I don't know. But, you know, all those times where he, in his, deep in his heart he was angry at God or he's screaming out to God, where are you in this? God, where are you? Why, don't, why won't you meet me here? If you're real, reveal yourself to me. And then all the way up, he's on the cross. He's, he's, he's headed to, the, he's headed to um, Golgotha, and he's put on the cross, nails driven in him, probably has his stomach ripped open from a whip too. And he's sitting there, and he just turns and said, you know, just remember me when you, you, know, you go into your kingdom. And then dies, and then walks in through the pearly gates with God. And looks at God and, and realizes, I wonder, if, I wonder if the Lord turned to him and said, I was with you this whole time. I died with you. God's always with you guys. You know, you, you never know. And so, and so to, to, to go and, and, and see somebody, and like these pastors were telling me, they've seen people and they say, no, I will absolutely not call upon the name of the Lord. And they don't die well. I don't know how true that is. I have no idea. I've never witnessed that. But I've witnessed believers that are in love with the Lord and saved by him dying. And it's wonderful because, you know, I mean, not death. I mean, death stinks. It's terrible. You know, we, we're experiencing death right now in Yucca Valley, and it's hard. But we don't mourn us with, without hope because we have the Holy Spirit, because we have that joy that we know we get to go hang out with that person again with Jesus. I can't wait to talk to the thief on the cross. I can't wait to talk to my Savior. So I believe rejection of the Holy Spirit is, is, is rejecting the free gift of salvation. Is rejecting that, and God, then God's going to open the books one day. Because you know what? It's the goodness of God that leads the sinner to repentance. But it's the terror of the Lord that drives us to, to save these people. As if pulling them out of the fire, it says. And that's what we need to be doing. That's why discipleship is important. Jesus said in the example of that. Jesus ministering, like, I can imagine as people are coming, demon-possessed people after demon-possessed person after, I mean, like I, like I said, you look, go look up leprosy on Google Image if you, if you have a strong stomach. And if you do, don't get mad. And if you do and you get mad, don't get mad at me. I'm, t- I'm telling you, it's pretty ugly. But can you imagine, like, think about that for a second. Lepers in groves and droves coming at Jesus. You know, if I was one of the apostles, I'd be behind Jesus because of how contagious that is. And he's, and he's touching them. And just, I mean, you even see he would, he would purposely have to get away to pray and, you know, slip, slip through the crowds and, and get away so that he can, he can have some restoration because, you know, he's fully God, but he is also fully man. But this whole ministry, the whole entire time that he was serving, he always was reaching people. He was always constantly making disciples. Constantly. I mean, even up to this very last breath, he was reaching people. He was setting the example for us. We need to be constantly doing that. And I think when we're doing that in discipleship, that's what's going to reach people. I think in all this, it's, it's, that's, that's where it's tied into, is, is pouring into one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second greatest commandment is like it. Love your, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You can't love God and not love his people. 
You notice they're tied together. And then Jesus, in, in the Last Supper, he said, you know, just, just, just love people like I love you. Jesus ministered, Jesus kept ministering even on to the cross. And I think in that love, there's so much power. It goes deeper than a feeling. It goes, it goes far deeper than, than emotional experience. Sacrificial agape love is the obedience to the word of God. And that ties us in as family guys. And then discipleship doesn't become a problem. Then we can like creep people out when they come in here. We're like, hey, we love you. And like, okay, you're weird, you know. But it's, it's wonderful. And then people can come here because I, I know people come to church looking to be touched by the Lord through his people because I was one of them. Because I was a prodigal son, you know, drinking, doing coke and smoking and all these terrible things. And then when God got my attention and I just, I just, I don't know where else to go. I need to go to church. And then God started speaking to me. Then God, had, God started making promises to me. But he only did that through his people. I mean, he does it through the word of God. But he does it through his people. He, that's, how, that's how we reach people. Anyway, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I think, is the rejection of all that. I can imagine. That's just so foreign to me. Verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and the evil man out of the evil treasures brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Why? Why? You know, it's, it's because, because words are absolutely powerful. And the, the, the one that spoke the world into existence would know, would know that better than any other person alive. Because words, we, you, you, after this message, if I'm standing back there and you come up to me smiling, you go up and give me a hug and you stop and you grab me like this and you go, that message was terrible. And you walk out and be like, I'm going to be cut down. You know, especially people that I, you know, you guys who I, who I love and, if, you know, or just whatever, even, even you know, words, words mean so much. You know, the whole, I don't know if this is appropriate, but the whole five love language thingy, one of them is words of affirmation. That's like top of my list. You guys can make, you guys, it means so much to me to, to have someone tell me they love me or have someone tell me they appreciate me or whatever. It means more than touching me, than buying me things or whatever. Man, words, words can save your soul. Words need to be, words need to come out of, out of your breath through the power of the Holy Spirit and love. Because the, Lord, the Lord's going to hold every word accountable. I think he's being literal right there talking to the Pharisees. Man, if I had to give an account for every idle like thing I said, I'm doomed. But but I have Jesus, and He's washed that away. And that's all that these Pharisees need to do was turn to the Lord. Was, but I mean, their pride—they won it. From out of the abundance, do you speak out of your heart? Right? Is your heart in Jesus? That's where that's where I like to think. At least that's where I'm coming at you right now, is because because of because how how eternally minded I am. And I don't say that again at all to boast, but man, I'm looking forward to heaven. Like the thousand year reign of Christ sounds amazing. If you go, I think, I want to say Ezekiel, and I always think of it when I'm teaching, not when I'm preparing the, the teaching. I'm going to look back now and, and find it. But like when it's like a kid can reach into um, a serpent's hole and play with poisonous vipers. I want pet lions. 
that's going to happen, it says in, the, in there. Dude, I'm like, I want to lay down with a the, with the lion. I just think that's the coolest thing on earth. You know, and it just speaks of these wonderful things. And I'm so excited. I think when you're eternally minded, you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And to be eternally minded about the thousand-year reign and forever living with Jesus, there's one more thing in that. People. Because, you know, God made heaven out of gold. God made heaven out of diamond. And, you know, you look at his, well, you look at what his throne room's made out of, it's all those precious gems. You know why? It's because he can't. It's because those things to God don't have value. I, I joke around that drywall in heaven is, is, is made out of diamond dust. But what's, what's the big value? It's people. Souls have value. I'm not, I'm not trying to appeal to your, your sense of self-esteem. I'm, I'm appealing to you as a, as, a, as a lost sheep or as a found sheep. That's why, I mean, you know, God died for you. Don't tell me you're not valuable. Verse 38, um, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. What, like healing leprosy wasn't a sign enough? (laughs) You know, like commanding the weather and everything up to this point? But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to you except the, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment um, with this generation and condemn it, because they repented and um, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise up in, in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. It's, it's just kind of, I wrote in my notes, it blows me away that they wanted to sign. But it really does. It's, it's, it's crazy to think that they still asked for a sign after seeing all these things happen. And a couple of things as we close. One, one, one side theological Bible scholar thing for all, for all the Bible scholars in here, which I hope it's all of you. Notice how Jesus talks about Jonah. A lot of people don't believe in Jonah. A lot of them think it's, it's a, you know, a made-up tale or it's a metaphor. But, but, but the Lord talks about it like it was a real event. Because you know what? Jesus was probably speaking to Jonah. It was, you know, Jesus was speaking to Jonah when, uh, when he was commanding him to go to Nineveh. He, those things really did happen. Uh, I was listening to a pastor, and he was saying that there's a predominant Bible college or you know, theological Bible institute in California that says that Jonah didn't really happen. And one of the students, when he challenged the professor, said, well, Jesus said it did in this passage. He's like, oh, we know more than Jesus. Yeah. Oh. No. Okay, I'm gonna, I, want my, I want my mission back. Stand over there. No. But, you know, it's just, it's just kind of interesting that God said it really happened. And guess what? If God said it happened, it happened. We know it happened because we can read the story. And I love that, because you, know, you know what? Jonah had probably the, the greatest revival ministry ever known, ever to man, right? He walks, literally, it takes him like a couple days to walk in the middle of Nineveh after completely rejecting it, wanting to do this. Fine, I'll do it. He goes in the middle and says, I think it's like 40 days and, and Nineveh's going to be destroyed. Okay, bye. And then he walks off. And they repent. 
And it's awesome, right? Yeah, praise God. And how many, you know, and, and it's like no excuse. We need to go out and reach people, right? Because like, what if God just wants you to say, hey, Jesus loves you? And the person would be like, that's it. That's what I needed to hear. You know, it could be that easy. It's the power of God. Um, but, uh, but, the, but, you know, the, the, the greatest, greatest revival, and Jonah hated it. But anyway, it's just, it's just awesome that the Lord points that that's true. To me, that's just amazing that, that, that that's there. It just shows how, how wonderful the Bible is. And then he points out, and then he says, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to die on the cross, and I'm going, to raise from, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he points out how these people from Nineveh are still alive. These people in Nineveh that repented and they turned to the Lord, you know who saves? God. The law doesn't save. The law points out that you need Jesus. It says they repented and God saved them because what does Jesus say right here? He says that they're going to rise up in judgment. They're going to rule and reign with Christ. The queen of the south, it says it right here, they're going to, that, they're, that, that God saved. And I think it all ties in, guys, that the things you say, the words that are coming out of your mouth, we need to be pointing to the Lord, to the one who gave them the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because you know what? Even, even these, I'm sure even the disciples and the apostles up to this point were, were kind of like, you know, is this real? I mean, yeah, he's, he, he's, you know, he's doing these wonderful things, but is this for real? Were they still asking themselves that when Jesus appeared to him after he rose from the dead? And I like to say this, and I still like to say this, so I'm going to say it anyway. Can you imagine their prayer lives after that? I mean, think about it. You, you walked around for, let's say, at least, that we, we know of, three years with the Lord, Talking to him, like, and I'm not just saying the things that were sent, that were written about him, but sitting around talking about what, you know, hey, Jesus, what's your, pl- what's your favorite place to eat in Israel? You know, those, those guy bonding moments. Maybe they made fun of Peter. Yeah, you can't fish without the Lord, huh? you know, whatever. I'm just saying, you know, those, those guys teasing each other moments. You know what I'm talking about, guys. I'm sorry, ladies, I don't know what you guys do. But, you know, I'm just saying those bonding, those, that, that sense of brotherhood that they had with the Lord. And then... That's their mentor. That's the rabbi. They're, they're discipled by him. They're chosen by him. They, they do power. They're believing, believing more and more the Son of God. And then he dies on the cross and he rises from the dead. Every time they prayed after that, it must have been just, you know, it wasn't ever, dear, Father, dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. Please go before me and help me to get to work. Okay, bye. I, it, just, it just, there's no way it was ever like that. It must have been so deep. It must have been so intense because they were talking to their best friend that they absolutely knew was real. 500 people, it says, I think, in 1 Corinthians, saw the risen Lord. God's not dead. God wants to reach people. We need to be reaching people. And I think it's through discipleship. And it's really bugging me that we have to close and we're not going to finish chapter 13. But that's where we're closing. And that's where God's, God's having us end tonight. So let's pray and... Father God, Lord, we just come before you once again, Lord, and we just ask, God, as we, as we go to reach people, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the person that you specifically want us to meet, God, this week, Lord. Whether it's the person that's just slamming us or, or threatening us or what, or maybe they're just, they're not. Maybe it's, maybe it's a layup like the thief on the cross, God. Whoever it is, open our eyes to that person, Lord. Lord, whoever you're, you're, you're tugging on our hearts to talk to, God, let us know who that is, Lord. Lord, we thank you that none of us had to suffer, suffer judgment of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because we claim to be born again, Lord, that we follow you, Lord Jesus. And maybe there's someone in here. Maybe, maybe you need the opportunity to, to be right before God. 
Maybe you know within your heart what that means. And, and right now, if, if, if you want that, I'm just going to pray. So I would ask that everyone just repeat after me. And it's just, it's just praying to God, asking for salvation. So just repeat after me in this. Dear Jesus, I call upon your name. I, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner and that you died for me on the cross. Enter into my life. Save me. And I love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you guys will all stand, we'll do one last song. And I'm sure there's stuff outside to eat. I don't know. Sometimes there's nachos. Sometimes there's donuts. We'll see. God bless you guys.